0: I'm back with another rant. The title of this episode is maybe a little misleading because I wrote down a while ago, a couple weeks ago, enough about Blonde, let's talk about how much I hate my week with Marilyn in my little notes app on my phone. Because at that point, I had only watched about like 15 minutes of Blonde, but I kept seeing it trending like everywhere. It was trending on Twitter for a couple days, and then there were a whole bunch of reviews and think pieces and hot takes everywhere about how the movie was exploitative, or... uh, Yeah, I mean, mostly that, and also just gross, but we're gonna talk about it in a second, as much as I said. Enough about Blonde, we're gonna talk about Blonde. But like I said, at the time I had only seen like 15 minutes of the movie, because... That's just as far as I got and then gave up because I was like, oh, okay, I, I see what kind of movie this is not interested by. But I still wanted to talk about something related to Marilyn because I have hated the movie My Week with Marilyn, which came out in 2011 for years. When I first saw it in 2011, I liked it, I saw it with my mom, and then I went to rewatch it a couple years ago and realized that it was terrible, and then I did also rewatch it before recording this podcast, so I've seen it three times now, and I have not seen Blonde that many times, I watched the first 15 minutes, gave up. And then the discourse just kept going and I kept seeing like a back and forth with people who hated it and people who really loved it and are passionately defending it. And I just, it's really hard for me to resist certain discourse because I'm just so opinionated. Some things I intentionally stay away from because I think, I don't want to make an opinion about this thing it just seems exhausting that's why i've never seen squid game and i've also never seen hamilton i just i don't want to know i don't want to know what i think about those things because the people who do think about those things seem to think about them a lot and talk about them a lot and I just I've already got so many opinions on so many other things I can't possibly add something else to my brain I'm exhausted I'm overloaded But the Marilyn discourse I just couldn't resist any longer because I do know a bit about Marilyn Monroe I'm not an expert in any way I I know there are people out there who know as much about Marilyn as I know about like Britney Spears and Lady Gaga which is a lot and I'm not on that level for Marilyn I think I know more than the average person enough to know that these movies are bullshit but I don't know enough to like really consider myself like an expert source so don't come to this thinking that this is going to be like a total fact check kind of thing. There are things that I know these movies got wrong but this is just going to be more general complaints. Anyway, I knew enough to know that I was interested in this dialogue that was happening. So I went back and I rewatched Blonde. I still haven't fucking finished it, though. I looked earlier today, and Netflix says I had 40 minutes left, which seems ridiculous to me because I feel like I've already watched so much of that movie. How could there be anything more than, like, 10 minutes? I mean, I know they have a lot more ground to cover in terms of plot and things that happened in her life, but, like... The movie is just way too fucking long. How could I possibly be expected to sit through 40 more fucking minutes of that thing? It's so bad. I like, I can't stress enough to you how much I hate this film. And that's why I do have to talk about it now because I don't now just have feelings about my week with Marilyn and the first 15 minutes of Blonde. I have a lot of feelings about Blonde and I really, really don't understand how anyone is defending this film. Not even in like a moral sense, but like in a film sense. Like this is a bad movie, but whatever. I I didn't mean to go into that right now let's back up a little bit and let's talk about what these movies even are so you've probably gotten at this point that they are about Marilyn Monroe and they are both actually based on books that are uh, quote unquote about Marilyn so Blonde is based on a novel called Blonde which was written by Joyce Carol Oates it is a novel and it is considered biographical fiction which means that it's loosely based on Marilyn Monroe but there are a lot of situations and information in the novel that's just made up and that's not something that Joyce Carol Oates is hiding at all she's not pretending this is a total biography of Marilyn she's very open with the fact that much of it is fiction It's really just Joyce Carol Oates' idea of what someone like Marilyn Monroe might be like. Now that in itself opens up some interesting questions about public figures and public narratives, and we'll get back to those in a second. My Week with Marilyn is... not a work of fiction according to the author but it's also impossible to verify any, well, not any, but most of the things that are written in that book. So it's a memoir written by Colin Clark, who was the third assistant for Laurence Olivier on the set for The Prince and the Showgirl, which was a movie that Laurence wrote, directed, and starred in. And it co-starred Marilyn Monroe, whom Colin claims to have gotten close with during that time, and that's never really been confirmed. Colin is pretty much the only person who said that, and he wrote about it in two different books, so My Week with Marilyn was one of them, and then the other was called The Prince and the Showgirl and Me. But both of those memoirs he published when everyone who could have contested his version of events had already died, so who's really to say how much of it is true? One of Marilyn's co-stars on the movie, Vera Day, said she didn't really think much of it was true because of the behaviors that she witnessed in her time working with the two of them, but you know, she wasn't there for most of the scenes that actually take place in the book or the movie, so we don't know. But um, it, I hate it anyway. Whether it's true or not, I still hate it. So let's get into it. Let's first talk about Blonde. I'm gonna start my little review of the movie here on the defensive because I know what people who like the movie like to say about the people who don't like the movie, and they're wrong, at least in my case. So One of the big accusations surrounding Blonde is that it's quote-unquote trauma porn, which it is, but a lot of people who like it will defend that by being like, oh, well, movies are supposed to make you uncomfortable. The people who don't like it just, they're, they're too, I don't know, sensitive, or they just don't know how to look deeply into art and see what the real point of the movie is. They're just getting distracted by the horrific rape scenes and not really looking into what the meaning of those scenes is. And let me say this. First of all, don't ever accuse me of not liking a movie because it made me uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable every day of my life. I live in discomfort. And I absolutely can stomach a film or a TV show or anything of the sort that makes me uncomfortable. I like stuff that makes me feel things. I like stuff that makes me cry. I like things that make me scared out of my fucking mind. I like things that make me feel disgusted, which this movie definitely did make me feel disgusted, but that doesn't mean it knows what it's doing. I'm all for spectacle. I'm all for things that shock people for a purpose, but that doesn't mean that everything that is intentionally shocking is purposeful. In this case, it is definitely not. Okay, and I went into this movie with a very open mind. I knew From, like, the previews that people had gotten of the film, the people who had reviewed it prior to it going on Netflix had already been talking about how gross it was and how kind of exploitative it was, and how much it focused on the abuse Marilyn had faced during her time. And I kind of expected that. I read Blonde. I never finished it. I don't remember how far I got, but I don't think that I didn't finish it because I found it offensive. I think I just got bored. Which I also got bored during this movie, but I got bored in a way where I was still really, really pissed off. But I was totally down for the idea of a movie that focused on the abuse Marilyn Monroe suffered in the entertainment industry and also just in her life, because she did. She experienced a lot of bullshit. She was sexually abused as a child. She went from house to house pretty much in the foster care system. She wasn't a total orphan because, I mean, I guess I don't know what the legal definition of orphan is. Her mom was alive and she did live with her mom for a bit, but she spent a majority of her upbringing in a different household. I don't remember who's exactly, but she was kind of happy in that household until her mother came back and then there was a whole mental breakdown thing you know she had a hard life she had a hard upbringing once she got to hollywood you know the entertainment industry in that era and also just still but especially then was a hard fucking place for women to exist in much like you know the rest of the world but especially when you add in men that have a lot of money and power and access to resources people just should not have access to which we discussed in the five-hour episode of amber heard and johnny depp so i'm not gonna go over all of it but i mentioned the evil industry that is hollywood fixers those people just suck and need to just stop existing not you know die but stop doing the things that they are doing that is like an inherently evil profession, in my opinion. But especially in that era when Hollywood fixers were starting to become a thing, their whole job is literally just to cover up scandals, and those scandals often include sexual assault. So, by the way, trigger warning, I mean, I've already mentioned before that this is gonna be talking about trauma porn and stuff like that, so if you have any sort of trauma, especially related to sexual abuse, this episode might be a little rough, and also The movies, especially Blonde, will be very rough. I would not recommend it, um, really for any reason, but especially for people who are easily triggered by events like sexual assault and rape and general sexism, harassment, all of it, violence. But anyway, yeah, Marilyn's life was much more than the glitz and the glamour of being a Hollywood starlet, so a movie that's gonna really acknowledge that I'm all for, let's talk about the shit that she went through. But also, let's talk about it like she's a human being, you know? Not just this little, like, childlike fembot. It treats Marilyn not even like an abuse victim in that she's a human being who occasionally experiences abuse and has to deal with the trauma of that. It treats her like an abuse victim, period. That is the only thing that defines her. She literally just wanders from abusive situation to abusive situation. And the movie cuts out any accomplishments that she's made. I mean, it obviously has to acknowledge that she's a big film star who is successful in that region. But it doesn't ever give her any agency. For instance, the movie touches upon how much less she was getting paid than some of her co-stars in her movies, and that did happen. For one thing, the pay discrepancy was not nearly as large as it was in the film, But that event is what prompted Marilyn to start taking more control of her career, where she was eventually able to negotiate a higher salary for herself, and she started an entire production company by herself, which for a woman at the time was almost unheard of. Like, there were a few who had done it prior to Marilyn. There was an actress in the silent film era, I think, who had done this before, but Marilyn was a huge star who was known primarily for doing comedies and playing a sexpot kind of persona, and for someone like her to step up in such a misogynistic industry and create power for herself in that way, that was, like, unheard of. Imagine if in the era that everyone hated Megan Fox and she got fired from the Transformers films for allegedly being too difficult with Michael Bay, even though he's like the grossest person ever. Well, not ever, to be honest, actually. There are just so many gross people for him to compete with, but whatever. Imagine if during that time when no one was taking Megan Fox seriously, she left the Transformers films? and just started a production company. Like, that was the move that Marilyn made. People didn't think that she was a serious actress at all and didn't think she was worth paying a fair salary to. And then she just made a production company and made people have to pay her that amount because she was still a very in-demand actress. People still wanted to look at her in movies. That's an insane accomplishment that the movie just ignores because it would rather focus on the fact that people treated her unfairly. And that's really weird. It's a weird thing to focus on just in terms of its depiction of Marilyn, because it's cherry picking all these moments from her life and intentionally picking all the worst parts to make a point, I guess. But the point is undermined by the fact that it doesn't feel like a real story at all. It doesn't feel like this is anything that could happen to a real person. If you wanted to make a statement about how the entertainment industry is cruel to women, wouldn't it make more sense for it to be emphasized by the fact that it was a very powerful woman? Like, if something like this could happen to a woman as famous and iconic as Marilyn Monroe, that says more than... Look, it also happens to this very passive woman who seems to be walking around with a sign on her shirt that says, Please abuse me, as the Marilyn depicted in this film does. She just goes from situation to situation where people are like, Hey, I think I'd like to assault you now. Can you um just bend over so I can do that? And she just goes, Okay, daddy. Like, that's the movie how is that interesting it's not and it's not poignant and in that way the trauma porn label definitely does fit here because the whole movie is just these little vignettes of marilyn being traumatized there's no nuance or story in between those scenes it's just the entire film it is like you are watching a porn where we are going from sex scene to sex scene And I'm not here to kink shame anyone if you want to watch a porn where someone is being abused as long as it's not the actual actors as long as everyone is consenting and agreeing to play these parts if that's your thing you like BDSM you like seeing people get slapped or something I don't know if that's your thing then fine keep that in the realm of porn Don't pretend that it correlates to an actual situation where it's okay to get off on that, because that's hella different. There are boundaries to fantasy, and depicting your trauma porn as a real story with real meaning, that's violating one of those boundaries, sorry. Let's not pretend that the abuse depicted in Blonde is actually a depiction of what a real abuse victim's life would look like. And let's not pretend that like, Fifty Shades of Grey is romance. If you want to flip through the pages and just read the sex scenes and get turned on and do your little thing, that's cool. But it's still not a love story. So let's just all agree on that. Fifty Shades, not a love story. Blonde, not a nuanced depiction of trauma at all. And I've heard some people say that It's not supposed to be, like, a nuanced depiction. It's supposed to be a caricature of Marilyn. Which, okay. For one thing, the people saying this usually accompany it with the argument that it's just meant to depict Marilyn as the general public views her. But the general public definitely doesn't view her as a trauma victim, really. I mean, maybe now that there's A little bit less of a glorification of that era, and more people are aware of the horrible shit that happened to her, but for the most part, people, when they think of Marilyn Monroe, still just think about the blonde bombshell, seven-year itch, uh, dress wind thing. They don't think about Marilyn as, like, just this person that walked around being beaten at any given moment so the movie's definitely not like an ironic look at Marilyn's life and it also makes a lot of choices that undermine this whole caricature look at Marilyn so let's go back to the fact that this is not a biography this is not in any way attempting to be a factual depiction of Marilyn Monroe's life it's not attempting to be that, and also it is attempting to be that, and this is what I mean. So, at least Blonde the book starts with a very clear disclaimer at the beginning of the book. This is not about Marilyn, this is a fictionalized version of just the idea of Marilyn. It's not a true story. There is no such disclaimer in front of Blonde the movie, which I think, for one thing, would have been helpful. But even beyond that, the movie goes to such painstaking lengths to replicate Marilyn, like, replicate the outfit she wore, the actress who plays her, Anna de Armas. She does a very good job in her performance. She does nail Marilyn's, uh, her iterations, her cadence, all of that really well. And with that, and with the costuming and the makeup and the set design, The whole movie is made to make you view this as Marilyn Monroe. If someone who didn't know anything about the background of this movie or book and didn't know a whole lot about Marilyn Monroe's life, they would watch this movie thinking that this is a biography. They would not go into it thinking that this is a fictionalized version of a real woman's life. So that's one problem in itself that, This movie is gonna give a lot of people the wrong idea about Marilyn Monroe's personality and the events that happened to her and her overall standing in pop culture. I mean, it undermines so much of her power as an icon. It makes reference, for instance, to there being a distinct difference between Marilyn Monroe and Norma Jean, which if you didn't know, Norma Jean is her birth name, And there is a difference between those two. Marilyn Monroe definitely is a persona that she created, but that's the main thing that we need to focus on. She created it. She had that agency and that awareness of herself and of what people wanted of her to create that persona. So yes, there were moments in her life where she maybe wished she could be more of her natural self in front of cameras or with people, but it's not like someone else hoisted this role onto her it is something that she made and she deserves credit for that because she created a role that is an incredibly important part of american iconography she created the archetype that other people mimic and that she became more or less prisoner to i mean She wasn't totally prisoner to it, she was working on breaking her way out of it. But this is the problem is that she's been so reduced to that persona that people can't even recognize her as the architect of it. They can only see her as the Madonna that is Marilyn Monroe and that a lot of the public sees her as because that's what they're most acquainted with, or they can see her as the Virgin, which is what the filmmakers of Blonde apparently see her as, as someone who's just an innocent, troubled little girl stuck in an adult woman's body. And perhaps that wouldn't be so troubling if not for the fact that Marilyn has already had her name and image and body and clothing and fucking house just objectified and exploited and taken from her after her death. I mean, this is someone who, after she died, Hugh Hefner decided to buy the, not grave, but, like, whatever it is that rich people get where they don't actually get buried in the ground, they're in, like, a little, um, what is it, like, a mausoleum, kind of, um a tomb or a crypt i don't know what like the current word is because all those words seem to just be so connected to like halloween or something like they sound like there's something meant to be spooky about a tomb or a crypt but that probably is just still the word i mean it's always gonna be kind of spooky and creepy i suppose because it is where dead bodies go but you know what i mean She's- her dead body is somewhere, and Hugh Hefner bought the plot or the tomb or whatever right next to her so that he could spend an eternity with her, despite the fact that he never met her. He had, like, one phone conversation with her once, and Marilyn was kind of pissed at him, it seemed. She didn't outright say that she was angry, but if you don't know, Marilyn was the first, uh... Playmate or Playboy cover girl centerfold. She was the first person naked on Playboy, and that was not with her consent at all. Back when she was poor, she did a nude calendar photo shoot. She didn't want to do it, she had actually turned the guy down for a while, but then there was one day where I think her car broke down or something, and she needed $50. So she took these photos, nude, and she published them under a different name because she was attempting to be an actress at the time and didn't want them following her career for the rest of her life. But then someday when she actually did get famous, there were all these rumors that she used to do nude photo shoots. And there's this nude calendar with her. And Hugh Hefner managed to get his hands on those photos and bought them from the photographer and then put them on the cover of Playboy without Marilyn's consent. Uh, and he made millions of dollars off of her, and it launched his entire Playboy enterprise that went on to abuse many more women after that. Uh, I'm not against naked women on magazines. I love naked women, but Playboy and Hugh Hefner can go fuck themselves. I actually have a fantasy about becoming the editor-in-chief of Playboy, because I would love to just turn it into a women's magazine. Keep the naked women, but... Have it be for girls, you know? Anyway, Marilyn was on the cover of that and she didn't even get any money for it at all. She wasn't paid for being on that issue even though it launched Playboy as a company and made millions of dollars by itself. She even said that she wasn't sent a copy of the magazine. She went and saw it on just a newsstand and bought a copy herself. So, yeah, fuck you, Hefner. They were not friends. They were not close. But after she died, he decided that he's gonna spend his entire eternity lying next to her, again, without her consent, because she was dead at the time and could not protest that. And that's where he is right now. That's where the two of them are. They're lying right next to each other. And that's fucking creepy. That is so creepy. And of course, Marilyn has continued to have real objects associated with her, just taken by other people. Of course, recently there was the Kim Kardashian debacle at the Met Gala, where she wore a dress that had previously only been worn by Marilyn. It had only been worn by her. It had been made specifically for her body. And yeah, that was just a whole unfortunate thing. I know there were a lot of people that didn't really get why that was a big deal because it's a dress and who cares that someone else wore someone else's dress, but it's a living piece of American history. I mean, imagine that Kim Kardashian went over to Washington DC and they took the Declaration of Independence out of the glass for her and she just rubbed her tits on it. She just rubbed her tits all over it. She wrapped it around her body. She stretched it out. That is what this was like. Exactly like that. It's, I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic at all. Um, it's exactly like that. It, the Declaration of Independence actually, if anything, is less important than that dress because it's a piece of paper and it's boring. And the dress that Marilyn Monroe wore was pretty. So, Yeah. I bet you feel stupid now. No, but it is. Like, it's a really important part of American history, and the preservation of clothing as art and as history is just not something that's taken really seriously, and that is a shame. I mean, it's kind of ironic, because Kim wore that to the Met Gala, which... The Met Gala only exists because it's a fundraiser, and it's a fundraiser for the costume uh, exhibit of the Metropolitan Museum, which is the only section of the museum that has to do its own funding. So uh, that in itself just says something about how much clothing and textile preservation just is not taken seriously at all. Because, you know, clothes are for girls. It's like when Joker got nominated for best makeup at the 2019 or 2020 oscars or whatever it was and like the makeup in that movie just wasn't that fucking good but the people who picked those nominations don't care and they don't need to care and no one questions that because you know again makeup's for girls Whatever I know I'm getting off topic. If you want to understand why Kim wearing that dress to the Met Gala was such a big controversy, I'll put a link in the show notes because I did write a piece on my blog that was called, like, Five Reasons... Kim Kardashian shouldn't have worn Marilyn's dress at the Met Gala and one reason we should cut her some slack because I do think that she got unfairly criticized for that when the bulk of the criticism just should have gone to the um, Ripley's Believe It or Not museum, museum in quotes, because they're not really like a real museum, but they, they fucked up by giving her that dress. And it's not only problematic for what that says about clothing preservation and textile preservation, but it also just contributes to this overall thing of people taking ownership of Marilyn Monroe without her consent, because, you know, she's dead now, she can't consent to anything, but people still have this creepy fixation on her and will take ownership of her to the point where actually Anna de Armas said that she thought she was being haunted by Marilyn Monroe's ghost or something, and she, like, prayed and asked for Marilyn's permission to do the film, and it's like, girl, I mean, maybe this is partially motivated by me not believing in ghosts, but even if you do believe in ghosts, I think it's really presumptive to think that you have a connection with Marilyn and that she's talking to you specifically. She's fucking dead. Leave her alone. Don't- don't even ask her anything. If you're going to do something where you think you need her permission, then then don't do it because she can't give you her permission because she's fucking dead. Anyway, and they also filmed some of the scenes for Blonde in Marilyn Monroe's actual house. I believe the house that she died in. And that is why Ana de Aramis believes that she was being haunted by Marilyn because they were filming in her house. And you know what? If there is if there is a ghost of Marilyn Monroe good for her for haunting Anna because ugh I would not want some of these scenes filmed in my house but Anna seems to believe that Marilyn was approving of her I, I don't know why Anna de Armas gives a very good performance and so I do feel very bad for her that she is being lumped into this project that is just abhorrent But also, girl, if you read that script and you decided to go forward with this movie, that's on you. So, you know, oh well. Kim also, in addition to getting to wear that dress, was given a lock of hair by Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I think that that piece was cut during Marilyn's autopsy. I'm not 100% sure if it is. That's creepy as shit that someone would just keep that around or even cut it off to begin with. I don't know if maybe taking some of that hair, maybe that was part of the autopsy that they could test it for drugs or something. I don't know. I don't know enough about that, but whichever, we should not just be handing out little clumps of dead people's hair as a gift to other people, especially other people who never met that person who don't have any sort of connection with her. It's weird. That's a real woman's body that we can't just hand out pieces of. And people have been doing that to a degree where it's really hard to even separate what Marilyn the person was and what Marilyn the persona was. There are so many different quotes that people attribute to Marilyn Monroe that she probably never said. And it's just disrespectful overall to the humanity of Norma Jean. Because her entire story has been erased by these idealized versions that other people have of her in their heads. And that's sort of where this comes in to a more nuanced conversation about what narratives do we get to take advantage of as a public? What do we get to exploit? What do we get to hold up as public property? I mean, the dress in itself, I do think, should be preserved as a piece of American history. To a degree, that means it belongs to all of us, because it's a part of our collective cultural experience. Even if you're not American, if you've just been exposed to and influenced by American culture, that dress had a big impact on American culture. And for one person to be singled out as the person who gets to wear the dress, that's kind of fucked, not even just for how it takes ownership of Marilyn Monroe's possessions, but it's also taking private ownership of a moment in our history that doesn't belong to just one person. So I can understand why Joyce Carol Oates or someone else would like to tell a story that's about an idea of Marilyn because All of us have an idea of Marilyn. That's something that's kind of personal to each of us. All of our conceptions of public figures are personal to each of us. That's why when celebrities fuck up or do horrible shit we feel some amount of pain or sadness involved in it. You know, if it was someone that you liked and they, you find out raped someone you get kind of bummed. You know, that's, that's fine. I'm not going to be one of those people that chastises you for having a parasocial relationship. It's totally natural. And it's not really, like, horrible that Joyce Carol Oates would take her own idea of what Marilyn was and put that into a novel. And she was really open about the fact that this is a fictionalization. However, we do have to take into account that Marilyn Monroe was someone who was objectified by everyone during the time that she was alive, and is still being objectified and exploited in having her own narrative taken away from her after her death. And that's just really disrespectful. If you want to do anything related to Marilyn, I think that at this point, the most respectful and ethical thing that you can do is try to portray her as accurately as you can. That's going to be a little bit difficult because there's so many different versions of her that exist in the public narrative as is, and there are so many things that we can't confirm, so many things that are still in question that we can't ask anyone about. like. There are people, for example, who think that Marilyn was more or less asexual and that she only participated in the sexualization of her image and only had sex with the amount of people she had sex with because she just knew that that's what people wanted of her and she was just kind of playing game and then there are people who think that she actually really was like a horny person. She was very sexual. And sometimes, yeah, she did have sex with people for other reasons, whether it be for emotional validation or some sort of leg up in her career. I don't know. But it doesn't take away that she was in fact sexual, that she did enjoy having sex, and I don't know which of those narratives is true. I'd like to believe the second one, but I can't ask Marilyn. I can't ask what was happening in her brain at the time. So to some degree, yeah, if you're going to make a movie or a story about Marilyn Monroe, you're gonna have to make some decisions that could be contrary to actual fact. But to take this story and play so fast and loose with these facts. And to do it in a way that only highlights horrible things that happened to her and then to make up extra things that probably didn't happen to her but you think would be fun to watch, that's fucked. Don't do that. It's gross. Especially if you're going to show her nude if you're going to be so graphic with the way that you portray these events which the movie is very graphic you see marilyn being assaulted you see marilyn getting an abortion and having the like there's like a pov shot in her vagina it's so fucking nasty and i'm not I'm not grossed out by vaginas, but I'm grossed out by the idea of having someone in a film meant to look exactly like Marilyn, and having that be a part of the storytelling. Because, again, Marilyn can't consent to that, and it's maybe not actually her it's an actress but it's an actress meant to resemble her in every other way so that the audience feels like they are watching these things happening to marilyn i know i already mentioned a blog post that i wrote already and i'm not trying to just do like self promo here i promise but it's just that this topic has come up in different things that I've talked about in the past, because it is something that I'm interested in, in the way that we portray women. So I'm going to read something that I wrote earlier this year, um, let's see, I wrote it in February. The post is called Slut Pop and Pam and Tommy Sex Positivity at the Expense of Victims, and it was about the Slut Pop album by Kim Petrus, and then the Pam and Tommy TV show that was on Hulu so this part i was talking about pam and tommy and how it portrayed pamela anderson and her sex tape scandal without pamela's permission now in contrast to marilyn monroe who is dead and you can't get her consent if you wanted to pamela anderson is very much still alive and was pretty vocal about the fact that she didn't want this tv show made So that's a little extra fucked, I think. But anyway, I'm gonna read something that I wrote about that show in relation to how Lily James was made to look like Pamela Anderson. Achieved through prosthetics and makeup, James's physical likeness to Anderson has received rave reviews along with her performance. The series' glam team said they wanted to avoid making James's portrayal appear like a caricature of Anderson, which almost makes the violation worse. Pamela Anderson certainly has a story worth telling. The release of her private tape illustrates the cruelty of a voyeuristic public and the trauma such a violation can inflict. How so many people disregard her pain in favor of humiliating a perceived slut further exemplifies the misogynistic impulses of 90s and 2000s pop culture. If Anderson didn't want Pam and Tommy made, though, could the show's writers not create a fictional story that's merely analogous to Anderson's experience? Insisting on making the series as close to its real life inspiration as possible not only keeps the subject of Anderson's violation in public consciousness, it recreates her most traumatizing moment for public spectacle. Watching Lily James reenact the sex tape with Sebastian Stan as Tommy Lee is akin to watching the leaked tape itself with how closely the stars look to their real life counterparts. Many people accept how fucked up and violating deepfake pornography is when it exploits the likeness of a non-consenting person. What's all that different about having an actress look identical to another woman and film her in an explicit sex scene despite the woman's objections? Pamela Anderson shouldn't have to turn on the TV and stumble upon a clip of a woman pretending to be her at the most traumatic moment of her life. In the 90s, onlookers to Anderson's abuse chastise her for daring to think she could be sexually expressive and retain an expectation of privacy. Today, viewers of Pam and Tommy can chastise those that made Anderson's abuse possible, all while ignoring the fact that they too are participating in her exploitation. How often can Anderson's body, actual or constructed, be made into public spectacle and discourse without her consent? And that's how I feel about Blonde. If you really wanted to make a point about a starlet akin to Marilyn Monroe who was abused by the entertainment industry, you can just make a new character. You don't have to make her literally Marilyn Monroe. Give her a new name. You can maybe give her characteristics similar to Marilyn or have some different objects or... Make choices in the clothing or makeup or hairstyling or whatever that references Marilyn where people can see like, oh, I get what the inspiration of this movie is without making her literally Marilyn. Like, what happened to analogous storytelling? George Orwell wrote an entire book criticizing Joseph Stalin without ever actually using Joseph Stalin as a character. He just used little piggies and stuff. Why can't we do that? And then that also hits on another thing that people have said about this movie, where, I don't like it as a depiction of Marilyn Monroe, but just as a movie, if you take that context away, it's good. No, it's not. It's worse. I didn't stop watching it in the first 15 minutes because I was offended as, like, someone who knows stuff about Marilyn Monroe. I stopped watching it because it was cheap and tacky and bad. It starts with Marilyn as a child, and the scene is both way too long and also way too short. I have a problem with cradle-to-grave biographies or biopics or anything like that to begin with. Maybe, I mean, a biography can be okay if it's in a book, but if you're trying to squeeze a monumental public figure who has had an immeasurable impact on the culture that they were a part of, you can't put everything they did and fully explore their impact on society in a, even like three hour movie, even a four hour movie. I mean, maybe, I don't know, I've never seen Amadeus, admittedly. I know that's supposed to be really good, and I think it does follow, like, a longer span of time, but it's also like a three-hour movie, and it's about a boy, so I just, you know, do I want to sit there and watch a boy for that long? I don't know. I know it's good, though. I'll watch it someday, I promise. But other than that, unless you have a figure like Selena, where she died pretty young so you don't have to cover as long of a span of time, and she also was mostly popular within one demographic so you can focus on that community and that culture and make it an homage to her and her influence within that population, So that works because that has some sort of focus even just built into this story because of what Selena represents to Hispanic culture, and the story can't get too sprawling because she died too young. Anything else though, if you want to do a fucking Elvis movie, like the recent Baz Luhrmann film, you can't do anything other than just race to each milestone in his career and also skipping a few without making it like 10 hours long. That movie just feels so thematically empty because it is too much shit that it needs to accomplish to the point that it can't accomplish anything. It would be better off if these directors and producers and whoever is funding these movies just let them be a fucking TV show, just let them be a mini-series. But whatever in the case of blonde it starts with marilyn as a child which already just annoyed me on that grounds alone i was like we don't fucking need marilyn as a child just skip to an era in her career that you can focus on and actually make her feel like a human being because in these first 15 minutes You see her battling with her mother's mental health issues, but because you don't get enough time with Marilyn and with her mother or anyone else around her at that time, none of them feel like real human beings. It undermines the amount that you're able to empathize with them. So it feels more emotionally empty than it should. And it also reduces all of their struggles to just these key moments, which probably didn't even happen that don't feel like they're real things that could happen to someone because you don't see the lead up. You see Marilyn's mother being quote unquote crazy, but you don't get to see how these symptoms build up over time and then manifest in a moment of real emotional turmoil. You just see her being crazy. You see her literally naked putting Marilyn into a tub and trying to drown her, which probably never happened, to be clear. But even if it did, how am I supposed to understand what this mental illness that Marilyn's mother had without getting to see her in a not triggered state? I need to see how these symptoms manifest on a daily basis to be able to understand what's happening in the scene, or I'm just gonna see the scene as Marilyn's mom is crazy And that's a really reductive way to view a human being. And it's a really reductive way to view mental illness. And I don't like that. Also, the way that Marilyn's character is written is just fucking bad in those scenes. She's a kid who doesn't react like a kid would at all. She goes to, like, her neighbor's house or something and is like, my mom's not well or something like that. She doesn't mention that her mom tried to drown her, she just was like, my mom needs help, please. And she's like a literal child at this point, not like a teenager, not anyone who would really have a concept of mental illness that's fully established and would be really empathetic to their mother. She's a child, a little, little girl. That is not how a little girl would react in that situation. She'd probably be scared and freaked out but because they don't really see Marilyn as a real person who would react the way that a real kid would. They just portray her with the same kind of passive acceptance that they portray her being abused with for the rest of her life. It's the same thing that once that scene is over, you go immediately to an adult Marilyn, just totally skips over her teen years, by the way, you go immediately to an adult Marilyn auditioning for a role by just walking into an office and, like, pulling down her pants and letting a guy fucking assault her. It's it's so stupid. People were comparing this movie a little bit to Spencer, which was the movie about Diana with Kristen Stewart, because that is also a movie where a woman is just being traumatized and abused for the whole run of the film, but I have to push back on that comparison because, for one thing, that was not attempting to be a movie about Diana's life. It only took place in, like, a week time, like, maybe even a weekend. It's a very short amount of time, so it's not depicting her whole existence as just a fucking landmine of trauma, but... Also, Spencer in that movie does push back on stuff. She talks back to people. She speaks her mind. She eventually, spoiler, sorry, makes a decision to leave the royal family. You get to see her do that, and actually the movie ends kinda happy, even if you know that she's gonna die young. She ends the film reclaiming her identity and driving off with her children, and it's happy and nice. Blonde is just fucking mean. Blonde is just watching a woman be abused for hours and seeing that as her entire existence. And that's fucked up. And while earlier I said the whole thing about if you weren't going to portray Marilyn accurately, why don't you just make a fictionalized version of her? The reason that they didn't do that, I already know, because if you made this story up, if you created a fictional person and then put them through the amount of stuff that Marilyn gets put through in this movie, people would immediately look at it and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why did you wanna make a movie of just a woman getting raped all the time? It would be weird. The only way that you can kind of get away with it is if you pretend that it's a true story which it's not. And it's also not even a story. It's not a complete narrative with a beginning middle end where someone experiences something and then they react to it and they grow. There's no character development in this movie. There's no purpose, there's no climax. It's just separate vignettes of trauma. If there was a point to it, if it was purposeful, it would go somewhere. It would explore something about that trauma, but it doesn't have realistic characters to explore trauma with. It's just bad. And while yes, I will at least give the movie credit for looking really good, it looks really good separately. Like, the, the scenes don't go together at all. There's weird moments where the aspect ratio will change or it'll just suddenly be black and white. And that could work if it felt like those decisions were motivated by anything, but they don't appear to be. There's no connection between like, when it's black and white, she's Marilyn Monroe. And when it's in color, she's Norma Jean. No, there's no rhyme or reason to it at all. And I think, to a degree, I don't want this to sound super condescending and arrogant, though I am very arrogant. I feel like this is the kind of movie that people who don't really watch movies that much and don't have a super good understanding of, like, film language and how to assess films on an academic level It's the kind of movie that those people would look at and be like, oh, it's confusing, which means that it's smart, which means that it's doing something. No, no. Just because something is confusing doesn't mean that it's working on a deeper level. Sometimes it's just sloppy and badly made. And that's what this movie is. It's sloppy and badly made. It's a lot of aesthetics that don't say anything of value. They don't say anything meaningful. I mean, some of them actually, they do say things. Uh, the abortion scene, for instance, is incredibly shaming. It feels very anti-abortion, which I don't love. And yeah, it's it's all that. All the stuff that this movie says is stuff that I just don't stand by. It says like, oh wow, look at this woman be raped. That's it. It doesn't say anything about the rape. It doesn't say anything about her position in society or her personal trauma. It just says, look at it. And you know what? I would rather not. I would rather not look at it. Thank you. But so let's move on to what I said we should actually complain about, which is my week with Marilyn. So this movie is definitely better than Blonde on a filmmaking level and in a way a moral level because it's not just trauma porn like Blonde is, but it is the story of Marilyn told from the perspective of a man who probably didn't have as intimate of a relationship with her as he claims to, and that is its own beast of immorality. It's like, you know how like guys in high school would sometimes create rumors about people that they had slept with but they probably really didn't it's like if that happened and then the school gave that boy a microphone and was like oh my god tell us about it like that's what the movie is it's a man being like i totally fucked marilyn monroe And then everyone is like oh my god tell us he didn't actually claim to have sex with her as far as i'm aware he only claimed at most that they like made out or something at one point but they definitely had like an emotional affair while she was still married to arthur miller so the whole movie is based around colin clark's time as an assistant on the prince and the showgirl which was one of marilyn's last movies And part of the reason that this movie is so problematic is that it takes place during a pretty bad time in Marilyn's life. When she was not doing well emotionally, Arthur Miller was a pretty abusive husband, as far as we're aware. She also was dealing with a prescription pill addiction that was pretty common back then, especially with actors or people like Elvis Presley, the aforementioned Elvis. A lot of doctors would just give people pills and give them prescriptions for drugs that we didn't totally understand the effects of quite yet. And even if we did, I mean, later on, Michael Jackson was prescribed a bunch of pills he should not have been on because they're rich and people just don't like telling rich people no. So Marilyn was definitely being affected by those pills, and she also had been dealing with, at this point, probably already a couple miscarriages. It's not totally confirmed how many she had in her lifetime, but she had some sort of reproductive issues that made it hard for her to carry a pregnancy to term. Uh, if you watch Blonde, you might get the impression that she only had those issues because she got an abortion and abortions are dangerous and they might affect your ability to have children later on, which if you get like a back alley abortion, that might be true. A legal abortion with a qualified doctor? Probably not. You'll probably be able to have children again. I mean, almost certainly not if you're living in america today and you go to a clinic i know that depending on which state you're in that could be more or less difficult but if you are lucky enough to live in a state or an area where an abortion is pretty accessible to you the medical risks are very low just just you know just a little psa But yeah, it is possible that Marilyn did have multiple abortions in her lifetime. No one really knows. And it was pretty common. I mean, not super common, but also definitely not rare for movie studios to force their actors to have abortions because it gets harder for you to work when you're pregnant. And, you know, I mean, still in America, we don't have guaranteed maternal leave following a pregnancy, so... Yeah. Anyway, Marilyn did definitely want to have children and she was pretty upset about her inability to do that, her seeming inability. Maybe if she had lived longer, she would have been able to successfully carry a pregnancy to term, but we'll never know. So she was already in a dark place during the time that this movie was being filmed, that being The Prince and the Showgirl, and she also had at that point started doing the Strasbourg method of acting, which is literally its method acting, you know, like Jared Leto and who else? Daniel Day-Lewis. They all do it where they really try to get themselves in the mind of the character and live as that character. Marilyn seemed to be doing that to a lesser extent. She wasn't going around as her character would in that film. She was still Marilyn off the set. She didn't go home and still try to inhabit the character she was playing. But when she was on the set, she was very insistent upon getting into the mindset of her character, which became very frustrating for the director, Laurence Olivier, and also for a lot of the people working on the film at the time, which is understandable given all the combined elements of her prescription pill dependence, her overall probably depression if she ever actually got diagnosed with that her general mental health problems because mental illness did run in her family and also her new method of acting which by its own nature made her approach the art in a very particular way that isn't super conducive with other actors in the way that they perform you can hear that still with anyone who's ever worked with Jared Leto, who also just sucks as a person, but that's not the point. The point is, Marilyn's work on this film is not representative of how she worked for an entirety of her career. She wasn't in a good place mentally, and she also was trying to elevate her acting performances in a particular way. So the impression that someone would get watching My Week with Marilyn about Marilyn Monroe is that she was just really unprofessional and not very talented as an actress because she messes up her lines a whole bunch because she's too in her head. I mean, you would get an impression of her that would be very unflattering to who she actually was as a person and especially the talent that she had as an actress because she was a very talented actress. However, the way the film portrays her talent is like it's an accident, a total mistake. There are these long scenes where she is continuously messing up her lines over and over and over again, and then she'll get one scene right, and then everyone's like, oh my god, thank god. And that is somewhat accurate to how other people portrayed what happened on that set, That. She would kind of flub stuff, and she wouldn't be satisfied with her performance, she'd be really stilted or something. But then, she would get it, suddenly, she would get the character, and she would go into this other mode where she really came to life on screen, and her performance was just kind of magical. It doesn't portray that accurately in the film in the way that, when she gets shit right in the movie, it doesn't... It's not like it's coming from her, really. They don't show her having any sort of revelation where she's like, oh, okay, I get it now. I get the character. You don't see her get a full grasp on anything. You just see her messing up and then randomly happening to say something correctly. And then it's just treated as like, we've just got to film her until she does something right. And then we'll just cut all the footage down to that. You know, it's like if you were filming your pet all day and you are waiting for them to do something super cute, but most of the footage is just them laying down, once they get up and maybe do something that's cute, like they yawn in a really cute way, the dog isn't like trying to do that. The dog has no intention of yawning correctly for your footage for you to share that like, oh my God, look how cute my dog is. The dog just fucking yawned. And that's how they treat Marilyn in here. Like we just have to keep the camera on her long enough for her to do something that we can use and then we'll just move on like it's an accident that she did it like she had no sort of cognition behind her choices especially with how the other characters interact with her particularly the men They are all so enamored by her beauty, which, of course, Marilyn was a very beautiful woman, and that was her appeal for a lot of people who were casting her. But they treat it as if she's so magically beautiful that that's all the reason that she was an actress. That people just saw her and they were like, fuck, she's so hot. I guess I just have to give her a movie role. That's that's how she's treated in this film. Like... If she hadn't been as gorgeous as she was, she wouldn't have been a good actress whatsoever. And alongside that, the way that men are enamored with her in this film kind of seems like it's trying to excuse them of having any sort of agency with their own actions. Every man that sees her in this movie just immediately falls in love with her. Like, they're under a literal spell. So anything after that, that's not their fault. You know... It just, Marilyn's too beautiful. I can't help it. I can't help it if I objectify her. She's too hot. Even Laurence Olivier, who was not getting along with Marilyn in real life or in the movie, they butted heads quite a lot on the set of that film. Even he, at one point, like, makes it seem like he too is in love with her. There's a point with his wife where she's watching some of the reels that they had been going through and some of his work with Marilyn on screen. And his wife freaks out. She's like, I see how you look at her. And it's like, bitch, you should hear how he talks to her because there is no reason for you to be jealous of this woman. He is such a dick to her. But apparently, yeah, he is also still in love with her. Like every man who's ever seen her, he's just so in love with her and him being mean to her is really just his frustration over the fact that she's so beautiful and just so magnetic as a person. He can't fire her, even if she can't act. He has to keep her around because she's really beautiful. It's kind of like how incels seem to think about women when they try to act like women are really privileged, that they're like, oh, how can you say that There's a patriarchy when women, they go to the bar and people just buy them drinks. That's a privilege. No, it's not. But also, it comes with this idea that women don't actually earn anything that they achieve. They just happen to acquire it by being women and by being physically attractive. And no, 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 no. That is definitely not the case. Even for Marilyn. Marilyn. Even Marilyn is not just so incredibly hot that she just gets stuff. That's not what happened to her. In fact, the main character, Colin Clark, who is played in this movie by Eddie Redmayne, which is how you know that it's an Oscar bait film. If it has Eddie Redmayne in it, it's probably like, you know, 60% chance that it's an Oscar bait movie. I've got no problem with Eddie Redmayne, but um, his movies are boring. They're so boring. And also you can tell what really puts it over the edge is like the color grading and the way that it looks. It's very golden. It's very warm. It's just begging you to give it awards. His character in the film has a girlfriend who is played by enemy of the show Emma Watson. She's not actually an enemy of the show. But I did mention her in one of the last episodes, which is about the bling ring, and I did not like the quote that she gave about her role in that. I thought it was kind of mean. So no hate to Emma Watson, but she is in movies that I don't like. And she also used to do that he for she campaign, which annoyed me as it was very, like, celebrity feminism of the 2010s, if you know what I mean. Do you remember when everyone was doing these little catchy slogans like ban bossy or they would say that I'm never gonna say sorry again women are done saying sorry and it's really just these ways of taking really complex nuanced issues that go to the core of American society and then trying to boil them down to little slogans that you can get people on and it's just I don't know it just i didn't i never liked that i didn't like that whole era where people were trying to be feminist by being reductive to the idea of feminism you know when everyone was like everyone should call themselves a feminist because it just means this this, this." no not everyone should call themselves a feminist because there are some people in this world who are definitely not feminists and i don't want them getting that credit The he for she thing was really in that lane too. It was supposed to bring more men into the feminist movement, but if a man needs to get an invitation to be a feminist and to uphold feminist principles, I'm not, uh, not loving that. You either do the work and you actually try to educate yourself and advocate for gender equality, or you just live your life like you don't get to claim a label when you do the bare minimum like oh yeah I happen to think that men and women are equal so I get to call myself a feminist now okay but like how do you think equality manifests what does that look like to you how can you point out misogyny in a day-to-day life like we don't need to be just inviting all these people into the feminist movement just for agreeing with this super vague statement whether or not they actually understand how sexism and misogyny works in a day-to-day life within their culture but whatever i'm getting totally off topic again i apologize this is the thing about these more um just like loose episodes these casual ones is that i i do in fact have adhd and when you just leave me in a room with a microphone to talk about whatever i want i will go off on some tangents. And I'm actually controlling myself pretty well right now, so but let's go back. I don't hate Emma Watson, but I do hate this movie. Emma Watson's character is dating Colin Clark, who's played by Eddie Redmayne, but then eventually Colin Clark starts having this kind of relationship with Marilyn I mean at first it's really just a whole bunch of nothing so he's the assistant to the director he goes to Marilyn's house at some point just to be like a middleman and try to get her to set and try to talk to her and get her to cooperate with Lawrence and how he wants to make the film he goes to her house one day and he like, I, I guess they're supposed to have like some sort of chemistry and they're supposed to be getting along really well, but I don't understand what's even happening in the scenes because it feels so contrived. Like there's a point where Lawrence calls him or one of the other assistants calls him and he's at Marilyn's house and they just both start giggling out of nowhere. Like nothing funny happens, but They need you to believe that they're getting along really well and now they've got like little inside jokes and stuff with each other, but nothing happens. They're just laughing and you're supposed to take that as, wow, look at their chemistry. So it's, uh, it's stupid. But anyway, he definitely starts to have a romantic attraction to Marilyn and as he goes through the rest of the movie, all these other guys come up to him and they're like, don't do it, man. She got me last time. She just picks men up and puts them down. Like, she apparently has had this sort of emotional affair with other people that she's worked with. And all these other guys are warning him not to do it, not to actually pursue a relationship with her because she's ultimately going to leave him and going to go back to her critically acclaimed playwright spouse, and that is ultimately what happens in the movie, so it feels a little reductive to be like, oh yeah, Marilyn used to just like sleep around and she played with men's emotions and made them think that they were going to be in a serious relationship and then she dumped them like a, like a slut would. It, it doesn't fully go in that route because Colin Clark still has some affection for her, so he doesn't vilify her in that way. But there is a touch of that in that I don't really believe that all these men were actually in a relationship with Marilyn. I don't think that she was actually going around having these intimate connections with other people that much. What I imagine happened, because I know how friendships between men and women, when men are socialized to view women in a certain way, go. I understand that sometimes you talk to a man, and then they decide that that's you flirting with them, and then after that they get really pissed at you because you don't actually want to have sex with them. Uh, Maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but I have to imagine that a lot of these people who have come forward and was like, Oh yeah, Marilyn used to flirt with me all the time. Marilyn and I used to have this like secret affair that we never addressed it explicitly. We never like called it, you know, an affair, but it was understood between the two of us. It's like, okay, did you actually have a connection with Marilyn or did you make that all up in your head? And then when she didn't follow through with what you had thought your relationship was, then you decided that she had dumped you. I, I think that's probably more like what happened. Regardless, Colin Clark in the film is the hero. He's supposed to be the protagonist that you like. And so when he starts doing this little liaison with Marilyn, knowing that he has another girlfriend, it's not supposed to be like a villainous arc. You're not supposed to be like, oh my god, that dick. You're supposed to understand because Marilyn is just so beautiful. How could he resist? Which, you know, that excuses his behavior quite a lot. And it's also not even really accurate because in his book, this is what Colin Clark actually wrote about his first encounter with Marilyn. "'Nasty complexion, a lot of facial hair, shapeless figure, and when the glasses came off, a very vague look in her eye. No wonder she is so insecure.'" That's what he wrote about Marilyn on the fucking set of that movie. How can you tell me that he was just so attracted to her physically that he couldn't help himself? He couldn't resist. He said she had a nasty complexion and facial hair. Which, by the way, I would have loved to see that in the movie. Because you know who else has a nasty complexion and facial hair? Me. That's my version of Marilyn when I write my own book or movie. I'm gonna do one of those interactive movies, you know, where, like, they- people spray smells and stuff in the theater, and I'm gonna make her smell like me at the end of the day, and it's not gonna be cute. The fact that the movie doesn't show that, that it just shows her as the perfect Marilyn that men are uncontrollably enamored with, it- that says something about how the filmmakers view Marilyn, not as a real person, but as someone who was mostly beautiful. That's that's it, she was just a beautiful woman. And the only humanization it really takes with her character, which it does definitely do a better job of than Blonde, and there are some moments and some dialogue especially that's way better than anything in Blonde. For instance, uh, she actually talks about her childhood a bit and I think that that accomplishes so much more when trying to explore what happened to her early in life than Blonde is able to do by showing it. Just having Michelle Williams, who plays Marilyn, talk about her childhood? More effective. More in-depth, even. I mean, it doesn't go super in-depth, but at least you get enough to feel how that would affect her in her life. So, I don't want to act like this movie is really on par with Blonde in terms of how it humanizes Marilyn, but it does do this really unfortunate thing where it's just super condescending to her. The whole movie is mostly like, wow, I knew Marilyn was beautiful, but who knew she actually had a personality too? It's just shocked by the fact that she's a real human being with real human feelings. And it's again, condescending, not just to Marilyn, but to like all women, all beautiful women. I once had a guy try to compliment me by telling me that when he first saw me, he thought that I was pretty and then was surprised when I was actually smart. And I was like, that's that's nice. Like I like being told that I'm pretty, I'll take that. And I like being told that I'm smart, but I definitely have some questions about how you think about women if you think that women can't simultaneously be smart and pretty. And that's what this movie is, it's just, men being shocked by women being smart and pretty. And she's not even depicted to be that smart in the film. Not that she needs to be. We don't need to see her doing something super complex or talking about philosophy or politics in a super articulate way, that's fine. But it's like anything she says that isn't just like, hold me, daddy. Anything other than that is treated with this like, (gasps) She can tell jokes? But she's hot? That's wild. I've never met a girl like her. And like in Blonde, the movie also just robs her of a lot of agency because it makes her so sad and lost that she doesn't appear like a person who's really done anything just a person who's been through things and again that just has something to do with the time that it takes place in and to some degree you can't fault the fact that the film doesn't explore her life around the filming of this movie because it's written by Colin Clark or the book is and he only knew her during a very brief time in her life So, yeah, I mean, the fact that it happens to be when she was not at her best is just—it's the nature of this story. But also, why are you telling this story to begin with? Because it's never been confirmed that Colin Clark actually had this relationship with Marilyn. And he portrays himself as a hero of her story in ways that probably didn't happen. So for instance, there's one point where he goes to Marilyn's house because she hadn't turned up to set and had told people that she was sick or something, which she probably was like, I don't know, just really fucked up on pills. Uh, That's the implication at least that the movie gives. And he goes there, he sneaks into her bedroom from her window because her door was locked and she was like passed out in her bedroom. And then when she wakes up, he is, he's there when, well, okay, so first she becomes, she comes to when he gets into the window and she's like, oh my God, Colin, what are you doing here? And then she invites him to sleep in the bed beside her. The next morning she wakes up and she doesn't remember the night before at all. She's like, Colin, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, you, you let me stay here. I came over last night and... You just don't remember because you were on all those pills. And even that, it's like, did she actually invite you into her bed? Even in the, the fiction of this movie, I mean, I see her doing it in the film, so I have to imagine that that's what happened. But there's a part of me that wonders, did Colin get into her room from her window and then just get in bed with her? And then the next day she was like, Colin, what are you doing here? Like, is that actually the real-life version of events? Or did he maybe even never go into her window to begin with? We don't know. Because Marilyn in the story, as he tells it, was already so just out of it mentally, so, like, deep into her pill addiction, so deep into her depression and whatnot that she was set up to be an unreliable narrator from the beginning. So even if she had been alive when this book was published... There's a possibility that she could have been like, no, none of that happened. And Colin would be like, oh, no, 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 no. It did happen. You just don't remember because you were fucked up at the time. So don't even worry about it. But it did happen. But we don't know that. We don't know that it happened. And Colin is set up like he's this hero because he was the only one that cared about her at the time. He was the only one that went to go check on her when she was sick and... I don't know why the filmmakers think that I would be that comfortable just taking a random man's word for it when no one can contradict him, especially considering that Marilyn was just someone that other people tried to take ownership of all the time. I mean, if you asked Hugh Hefner, he would have said, yeah, me and Marilyn have this, like, spiritual connection. I just feel connected with her, and that's why I have to live right beside her for the rest of eternity in our deaths. I have to be buried next to her because we were just so connected in life. When in actuality, they had one phone conversation and Marilyn was a bit annoyed that she didn't get paid for the magazine that he put her on without her permission. So that's the general pattern that men seem to have with Marilyn. And I don't know why you would make this story to begin with. If you want to explore Marilyn Monroe's legacy, there are better ways to do it than exploring it from the perspective of a man who didn't really even seem to think that highly of her in the beginning of their relationship. He thought she had a bad complexion and facial hair. I swear to God, if anyone ever says something like that to me and then other people decide to make an Oscar bait movie from that man's perspective about my life, I am haunting the shit out of you. I said earlier I don't believe in ghosts, but I will find a way. I'll finish the episode there. I know that I talked a bit more about Blonde, I think, than I did about My Week with Marilyn, despite the title, but I just, I really hated Blonde. That really sucked. But My Week with Marilyn is itself a representation of the same issue. People need to just leave Marilyn alone just stop making movies about her unless you're actually going to make a good one. And this is the thing that kind of sucks about this whole, whole debacle is that there hasn't really been any big releases that actually tells Marilyn's story in a respectful and accurate way. And there's something to be said that maybe there's room for that story on the big screen or maybe on a TV show. You know, I've, I'm really a fan. If we're gonna do the whole cradle-to-grave thing, let's do a fucking miniseries instead of a two-hour movie, but whatever. I'm not against another Marilyn Monroe adaptation, but at this point, there's just so many bad movies made about her that I'm tired of them being made, period. So we're gonna have to wait a little bit. If anyone has, like, a good idea for a Marilyn adaptation, just hold it for, like, a couple years, because we gotta let... We gotta let this die out a little bit. We can't overload the general public with this much bullshit all at once. Let's just wait a minute and then we'll, we can come back to it later. We've got time. Anyway, this was probably the most rambling episode I've ever done. So if you listen to all of it, I appreciate you. I'm working on a couple other episodes that I hope to get out soon-ish. I've got two that I definitely want to get to at some point in October because they are October themed, you know, spooky and whatnot. One is spookier than the other. One is just, it happens to be October that this is significant. It doesn't matter. But I'm also working on the next um, episode of The Kardashian retrospective series, I thought that that would be one of the next episodes, but I'll probably do at least, like, two in between it because, um, for one thing, just, like, the seasonal aspect of the whole October thing I want to take advantage of, but there's so much happening in the news right now with Kim and Kanye and... Uh, It's just it's making it like hard to want to even think about it because I am genuinely really upset with the way that Kanye has been treating Kim in public and people not really caring that much. I know that people don't like Kim Kardashian for various reasons and many of them are very good reasons, but it doesn't change the fact that Kanye is abusing her pretty publicly and pretty blatantly and people are just looking the other way because they don't like him. And I think that's gross and it really makes me upset. So I might, I don't know. I, it, the next episode will be up because I am actually, I'm very passionate about that series and I'm gonna keep making it no matter what. But you know, I just need a moment to to cool down before I get back into into that story. So that's coming though and I will be back soon with a a thing about serial killers and true, true crime. So get ready for that. Spooky. Okay, bye.